Lois wanted me to um, thank all of you. We do want to thank all of you for coming to our family wedding yesterday. It was such a beautiful thing for you to celebrate with us. And wanted we wanted to thank so many of you, too, who helped us with such hard labor and, and uh, tremendous gratefulness that we have for you. Uh, we had such a beautiful day yesterday at Holly's wedding, and we just wanted to say thank you to all of you that were a part of that. Most of you know the beautiful arched window in the north end of the building here is it's my inner study. It's, uh, there's a, uh, in that study, there's an 11-foot ceiling, and it's lined with bookshelves all the way from the floor to the ceiling. Across from my desk is uh, a, a huge bulletin board. And on the bulletin board, I have pinned pictures of my family, pictures of people who are on the mission of Jesus, missionaries, and I have pinned pictures of you when you give me your pictures or your kids' pictures. I put them there, and I use that as a place to remind me about what I'm doing, uh, raising my family for the Lord, sending people on the mission of Jesus, and caring for a congregation and trying hard with all that I have within me and my family to be a good example and to help you raise your kids for the Lord and to, for you to walk with the Lord. And um, so it's a really precious place to be back in there. It's, there's an outer office and the inner office is away. So I always feel like I can pray in there and sing and study. It's a beautiful place. I'm so grateful for it. And um, one of the sweetest things is to go back in there and to just do my last minute heart preparations and message preparations on the Lord's Day, like on a day like today in the fall when it's so cool and beautiful outside and and I look out the window, and I can see some folks coming into the north parking lot. One of the happiest uh, feelings that I have had recently would be to look out that window and see a little silver Ford Focus pull into to that parking lot. And a beautiful young lady get out of it with her Bible and her lesson book for her Sunday school class and watch her hair blow in the wind while she walks into the church, and I always think, that's my girl, and she's here to serve the Lord. She came a little bit earlier than later on when she sang with us on the praise team. That little silver Ford Focus would come into the parking lot earlier, and I used to love to watch her walk in. I had, People asked me yesterday, you're an emotional guy, and Holly is an emotional person. How in the world did you get through your wedding ceremony without a lot of tears? And I thought a lot about that because tears and uh, a tender heart are such a luxury and such a gift to have. But Holly and I both spent many hours planning her wedding and, and thinking about how we could be an encouragement to you and to the young people of our church. And um, we decided that if we gave, you know, if we allowed our emotions, then we wouldn't communicate clearly. And we decided that what we would do is we would try really hard to withhold those emotions and try to express God's truth to all of you in a way that would be a way to help you and to help your kids and inspire you. And so 
the other thing that we decided, and I taught her this, and I said, Holly, what I do is, if you think I express a lot of emotions now, you don't really realize what I do is I repress a lot of emotions, and then I schedule a place and a time to go and just have a good cry or a good celebration. Well, this morning when I was in my beautiful study back there and thinking about that silver Ford Focus not coming into the parking lot anymore, I got a text on my phone from Holly. She's on the plane getting ready to fly to Cancun this morning. And she said to me, you know, Jesse's taking good care of me, Dad. I'm going to be fine. And I want you to know thanks for raising me the way you did. It was such a beautiful day yesterday. You all made that happen. I love you for that. I want to be good to you for that. Thank you so much. Heidi. (laughs) Heidi, um, we thought maybe was going into labor last night, but it was a little false alarm. And so the Lord allowed Heidi and Austin and Kira and little baby Hancock to get here, be a part of the wedding, and they're on their way home. Now, two things on my heart this week just wouldn't go away. Just so big. One is the girl in the little silver Ford Focus. I couldn't stop thinking about that. And the other is a phrase from Romans chapter 11. And the message won't be from Romans chapter 11 today because I decided that I would just follow my heart because I think it would be helpful to you. And so I hope that you'll listen with all your heart while I really open my heart this morning and tell you what I'm confident that the Lord has put on my heart. But looking at Romans chapter 11 first, which we'll really study more thoroughly next week, Lord willing, I want to show you what Romans chapter 11 verses 1 through 10 say, and then I want to show you the phrase that kind of came out of Romans chapter 11 into my heart that I couldn't get off of my mind along with the girl in the silver Ford Focus. Romans chapter 11, of course, is in a section in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that are talking about Israel and how God likes to display things about himself through Israel. One of the things is that when he makes a promise, he keeps a promise even over centuries of time. You can count on the promises of God. You can build your life on the promise. When God makes a promise, you can trust him and you can root your life in the promises of God. This is true with individuals and churches and nations. And so even Israel, when you look at that, the fact that Israel is so prominent in the news today is evidence that Romans chapter 11 is true. And so what happens is Israel in Jesus' time rejected Jesus. And so people said, I see what's going to happen now because Israel, the Jews, rejected Jesus. He's going to set them aside. And this is the question that Paul, who is a Jew and a Christian, is asking because he builds Romans around questions in Romans 11. I say then, has God cast away his people? Has God set him aside forever? And his answer is, may it never be. Certainly not. God is still have a future for Israel. And then Paul gives two examples. One is himself. He says, I'm a Jew. And I'm a Christian. He hasn't set me aside. Any Jewish person who believes in Jesus is by no means cast aside. And then he gives another example, which is a a picture, is a story from the Old Testament. It's a fascinating story from the Old Testament about Elijah, right? When he was like, his his life was threatened by Jezebel Ahab. He runs, he goes to Horeb, he's up in a mountain, he's in the crags of the mountain. and, And God comes and meets with him, speaks to him in a still small voice. Elijah complains to God and says, I'm the only guy left. I'm the only one left. And here's the phrase that just jumped into my heart. From, from Romans chapter 11 and verse 4, what does divine response say to him? 
when, he, when Elijah said, I am the only one left, remember this? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And then the next little section from verses 5 to 7 goes back again and repeats over and over again the important main message of Romans that is justification by grace through faith alone. Anybody who believes, who's justified by grace through faith, is saved and not set aside, but brought into the heart of God. But then it says in verses 8 through 10, which we'll study later, but yet those who don't believe are given what the Bible calls a spirit of stupor. Which means like they do like some people do while I'm preaching. They're nodding off, you know. Not many, but they're nodding off when God is speaking. They're nodding off. They're like, they have a spirit of like drunkenness or, or sleep or they just, and you know people like this. I hope you're not like this. They're like, you know, God himself is speaking and they're not even carefully listening. But the ones who carefully listen that don't have the spirit of stupor that are alert and eager to hear, the ones that want to hear and obey, those people are a remnant that God has preserved. And you'll notice that the phrase doesn't say there are 7,000 who have not bow the knee to Baal. Somebody says, what does it say? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Don't ever, ever read Romans without a sense of the sovereignty of God over the whole book. It's very, very clear, especially in Romans 9 through 11, that God is acting. God is sovereignly acting. So we live in this dark time, in this this terribly, terribly dark time. And anybody who really knows the Lord knows this is a time of great wickedness. And even in our nation. And so what are we going to do? So that brings me to the second thing that was on my mind this week. The first thing, this phrase from Romans chapter 11, which we're going to read now. And then we're going to depart Romans chapter 11 and go somewhere else and come back next week. As a matter of fact, if you take your Bible and turn to Second Peter, then you'll be where we're going to go uh, for the rest of the time. But this is what the Lord put on my heart. And I'm just going to pastorally teach you, preach to you out of my heart today, out of what I can't get off of my heart and I can't get off of my mind about that little silver Ford Focus and about this phrase, I have reserved for myself yet 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. We had a bachelor's party here Thursday night at the church. What about that? (laughs) We had a bachelor's party at the church. So um, Jesse, our new son-in-law, has... His best man is a fellow named Anders, who's a special forces in the U.S. Army and a, quite an interesting, dynamic Christian young man. And he calls us a meeting together and he goes, he calls me on the phone and says, Pastor, I've been reading on your website. I've been listening to your messages and I want you to come to the bachelor's party. I'm like, that's cool. I never get invited to the bachelor's party. And he says, and could you have it at the church? I'm like, depends on what you're doing, you know, because the deacons might have something to say about that, you know. The deacons moved their deacons meeting on Thursday night to another room. Thank you, deacons. So that we could have a bachelor's party in the nice room where we normally have the deacons meeting. And they met up. They had a beautiful meal. And then the guys sat around, the fathers and the sons, everybody. And all they did was they, 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 they talked to the groom about what we've learned about being a husband. It was a powerful night. And when I walked away from that night, I was so thrilled because I sometimes feel like I'm pushing the train. Does anybody here want to be holy? Do any of you young people want to live for God? Can we talk you into not being drunken? Can we talk you into not being immoral? Can we talk you into not defecting from the faith? But in that room that night were men that were not following. They were leading. They were real men that loved God and they were open about it. And I know we have some here. There are yet 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And when I walked out of that room, I thought... 
There are some Christian men yet in the world who are very serious and their faith is very vital. And so I can get it off of my mind and I want to talk to you today about eight things to look for in a life partner. I'm going to talk to you tonight, today, about eight things to look for in a life partner because it's on my heart and I can't get it out and I feel like the Lord wants me to talk to you about it. You say, wait a minute, I already have a life partner. Well, the reason I'm telling you is because we have young people to influence And one of the most important things in Christianity is that we influence our sons and daughters to marry in the faith, someone whose faith is vital, that we build strong Christian homes and strong Christian churches. And so I want to talk to you about eight things to look for in a life partner. Or another way I could say this is, if you say we're a single person and you're thinking about this, is eight things for you to look for, how to find the right person to marry. And and there are a lot of places that you could go in the scripture to study. Before we do, I want to remind you of an Old Testament passage in Ezekiel 14. And you can't turn there quickly enough, but I want to just spin through Ezekiel 14. It's a passage that's speaking to Israel at a time of apostasy. So Israel would go through cycles of apostasy and revival in the Bible. In other words, apostasy means they move away from God. Revival means they move to God. And Israel's always going through cycles of apostasy and revival. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Anybody have that personal experience? Does your, did you just, when you went, when you got saved, did you just go up and to the right? Or was it kind of like this? It was kind of like this, right? And hopefully on up. And so Israel goes through cycles of apostasy and revival. When Israel is in a cycle of apostasy and God's judgment is actually on them, what he says, and we've taught this before, so I won't go into a lot of detail, is he says, even if there are godly men there, there won't be many young people who go on for God. Many of the young people will not go on for God. And evidence that God's judgment is on a nation is there's only a handful of young people that go on and they serve the Lord. And everybody would say, that feels like the way it is in America right now. And then it, but yet it goes on in the passage and it says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. That's Ezekiel 14, 14. And Ezekiel 14, 16 says that even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither their sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered. And verse 18, even though these three men, you know, these three men are Daniel and Noah and Job. Even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons or daughters, but only they themselves would be delivered. This is frightening, right? And then it says in verse 20, even though Noah and Daniel and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. And yet verse 22 says this, listen, there shall be left in it, however, a remnant who will be brought out, both sons and daughters, surely they will come out to you and you will see their ways and their doings. And then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem because I have brought it upon Jerusalem. Do you see this? In other words, in a time of dark apostasy, many young people won't live for God, but God says, but I will reserve for myself a remnant, a smaller group that do want to go on for God. And I know I'm among remnant people today. And I want to encourage you in this today. And what has to happen is young people who are part of a faithful, godly remnant of people who know and love God and are serious about God need to get together and reproduce. And they need to reproduce physically and they need to reproduce spiritually. And so how would you find a person to marry? Or how do you evaluate a person that you're seeing whether or not you should marry them? So, Pastor... This is the one you want to have notes on. Yeah, just, you know, you and me, two guys. So, 
Yeah, just kidding. Yeah. And, and so you want to get this down. And I'm serious. If I could have called you all on the phone today and said, would you please bring your sons and daughters today? I would have done that. Because I, I'm going to tell my heart, this is so valuable. What I'm going to tell you here is so valuable and so precious. And everybody who wants it can have it. Everybody. Because God is not a respecter of persons. Anybody who wants this to be true, it can be true. But many will not want it. They have a spirit of stupor and they'll only half listen. And they won't put themselves into God's path for blessing. And they will not enjoy the blessing of the Lord. And so I, I could go a number of places. For instance, for, for this, I could go to Galatians chapter 5. We may later, and we can look at the fruits of the Spirit. You could evaluate a person like, do they have the fruits of the Spirit? How do you tell if a person is truly spiritual? Are they the ones that are really hard-nosed? Are those the truly spiritual people? Are they the people that, you know, they're always just kind of placarding their convictions and yelling at people? Are they the ones that, like, you know, you see them coming and you're like, oh, no, you know, they, they got, like, rules on top of the rules? Well, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you can tell if people are spiritual because they have the fruit of the Spirit. And that starts with love and joy and peace. Can I begin there? You might go to Galatians chapter 5 and say, does this girl have love and joy and peace and patience? Does she have the fruit of the Spirit? Is there evidence that the life of God is in her? Does this young man that I'm seeing or that I'm thinking about seeing or that I want to want to see me, does he have the fruit of the Spirit? You could go there. Or you could go to the love chapter of the Bible and you could read in 1 Corinthians 13 and you could say, is this person sincerely loving? And do they know God? That would be a good way to evaluate a potential mate, right? And by the way, you say, well, I'm already married, but we're all influencing young people. So let's listen up and pay attention, right? Or another place that you could go in the Bible is you could go in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't marry somebody whose life doesn't mirror the Sermon on the Mount. Don't marry somebody whose life doesn't mirror 1 Corinthians 13. Don't marry somebody who doesn't look like they have the fruit of the Spirit. That'll be miserable for you. But marry someone in the faith that they have the life of God in them. If you don't find somebody like that, don't get married at all. Don't get married until God sends somebody like that to you. But today, I want to suggest 2 Peter 1, 1 through 15, is a great place to see some virtues there that you ought to see are they present in eight things. And, and, and so first, I want to read 2 Peter 1, uh, a, a bit of it, and then I'll give you these eight things very quickly. And these are on the app. If you have the, uh, the version Bible app, they're on there. And you can look them up later if you want to. The Bible says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these we may be the partakers of the divine nature. Listen to the next phrase. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. So what we're getting here is like, do you, would you agree that we're living in a sewer? Okay, then you, then you kind of, you have um, spiritual apprehension, if you know that. We're living in a moral and spiritual sewer. This is the Bible word for that, the escaping the corruption that is in the world. How are we going to get our young people to escape the corruption that's in this world? This is going to tell us. You'll notice that you go over in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, they actually have escaped from those who are in error. They were, in verse 19, they were slaves of corruption. In verse 20, after they escaped the pollutions of the world. Get it? One of our jobs, we need to see that we need to deliver ourselves from the sewer that is our world. 
Now, how do we do that? And you go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, and you notice there are a sequence of things. It says in verse 5, um, for this very reason, giving all diligence. Here we go. Add to your faith virtue. See it? We have faith. Virtue to virtue, knowledge to knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness, love. And if these things are yours and they abound, you'll be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a list that I would suggest that you can use for a lot of things. One of the things you could do is you could use this to evaluate a person that you're going to marry. You could say, okay, you're looking for somebody to marry. I always tell my kids this, you don't need to look for beauty or handsome because you just don't need to because you won't be able to talk yourself into liking somebody that's not pretty to you or handsome to you, so don't worry about it. And they're never convinced. They're like, you know, my parents would always like, hey, you want to meet this girl? I'm like, yeah, well, she's a nice girl, but did you look at her before you said that? I mean, I'm not attracted to her, you know, because that's how it is with parents. You know, you're, my, my sons were making fun of me because um, I had pleats in my pants and they just said, that means you're over 50. I'm like, I'm over 50. So, I mean, really? I mean, I remember a time when you weren't cool if you didn't have pleats in your pants. And they're like, are you kidding? I'm like, no, I'm serious. And it's like, you know, so you're not going to, don't worry about the physical thing. Because, right, it, it kind of takes care of itself. You try to make yourself like somebody who isn't physically attractive to you. It's probably not going to work unless they really have great character. Just overpowering great character over time. And then they'll just kind of like, they'll, they'll grow on you big time. But, but you don't have to force yourself to do that. So, but, but what's harder, you know this. What's harder is to evaluate the person's faith and character and virtue and emotional purity, especially in a, in a licentious culture that's involved in moral impurity. If you're in a relationship and you quickly get involved in immorality, then you're, you're blinded to their character and you're blinded to their faith and you're blinded to their virtue or lack thereof, or you're blinded to their emotional maturity because you're physically involved. And so, you look at a, a passage like this, and, and track with me. Number one, one thing to look for. Are you sure that he or she is a follower of Jesus Christ and genuinely converted? Faith. You see it there? Faith. Add to your faith virtue. Do they have faith? Faith meaning, are they in the faith? Are you confident that that person has the life of God in them? Do they know the Lord Jesus as their Savior? Do they realize that salvation is a gift and not something that you have to earn? Do they have genuine faith? Are they converted? That would be good. Don't ever think about marrying someone or even dating someone ever who doesn't already have faith in Jesus Christ because that is playing with fire. That's dangerous. And the Bible says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why then would you ever consider a person to marry if they didn't know the Lord? You say, well, I married somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Well, that happens a lot. And God has a way of giving a person who's a believer a powerful influence on others. That is not God's ideal. And you should never consider marrying somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Never. And so you shouldn't go looking in places where people who don't know the Lord hang out all the time to date. Right? This doesn't make sense. It's not wise. I didn't do a lot of things right. But I had the sense to go to Bible college and look around. And one night after I played putt, uh, three, uh, par three golf, I, got, I was hungry and I wanted some pizza. And I went to the pizza place and God made Lois hungry at the same time he made me hungry. And I saw her and I couldn't get a conversation with her. But I, if nothing else, am persistent and 
charming. Wouldn't you agree? And so I just stayed after that thing. And here we are later, you know, we got four boys, four girls, and a a delightful home. Because I went to a Bible college, there was a little girl there who met Jesus and went to a Bible college because she wanted her life to be on track with the Lord. He put us together. We are such a mess. We are so broken. We are so needy. We don't deserve to be anywhere near Christian ministry. But God in His kindness and in His mercy saw these two kids down there at Bible college trying to follow Him and He's favored and blessed and been so kind to us in that way. I'm just saying that you go where Christian people are and look for a Christian mates. Listen to me. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. That's number one. Number two, does he or she have godly character? Add to your faith virtue. Do they have virtue? Do they have godly character? That's another one. Third, do they know their Bible? Do they have knowledge? Um, That's the next one. Add to the faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Would that person have a worn out Bible or a well-used Bible app, right? Would that person know the Lord? And be conversant about the things of the Lord. And have the knowledge. I mean, knowledge knowing like experiential knowledge and also intellectual knowledge. Does the person, if they're a neophyte, if they're a newbie, if they're a rookie, if they're a plebe, when it comes to God, let them grow up before you marry them. Or you marry this little baby, that's not going to be good for you. Because you got to burp them and all that stuff and change them and they're going to make a mess. And you got to like nurse them and hang, you know, walk around with them. No, marry a grown-up. A, a woman of, of virtue, character, and godliness. A man that knows God and loves God and walks with God. You see, that's what you want to look for. You want to look for a person that's not just, oh yeah, a professing Christian. But a f- professing Christian, yes, of course, but with godly character. And that they have a knowledge, an experiential knowledge of God. Fourth, do they have control of their appetites? The next thing that you add is self-control. Do they have any movement in the area of self-control? If they don't, that's going to be kind of tough. They're not going to pick up their socks. I'm just telling you, you're going to have to pick up their socks. You know, Lois says, and when are you going to clean the garage? Yeah, but we're not talking about that today. And number four, self-control. Later this week, honey. Later this week. And then number, number, number four. Number five, have they developed any skills, any, any vocational skills? Because they, they add to their faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. So what skills do they have? Would the people that they work for say they're a hard worker? And that's really simple, right? Do they show up on time for work? Do they hold the door for little old ladies? Uh, Is she she vain and selfish or is she kind to other people? If young men, let me just tell you something. Girls don't just happen to get kind if they haven't been kind. There's no magic wand that you wave over them when you get married and all of a sudden they're kind. They just, if they're not kind when you marry them, they're not probably going to be very nice after you marry them. But she's shaped so pretty. You're a knucklehead if that's what you think. You know, I will tell you what, what's going to happen is that beauty is going to like, you're going to not even be able to see it after a while because she's so doggone mean. And so what, you know, so the taming of the shrew, that's only good in books and movies. And what you want is a nice girl. I'm just telling you, just the law of kindness is on her tongue. She's a, she's a woman who's kind and loving and gentle and she has the fruit of the spirit. Look for that. And if you don't find it, keep moving. Keep moving. Don't, don't marry somebody who isn't nice. That won't be good. So, have they developed vocational skills? Six, is there evidence of spiritual graces in their life? Godliness. Do they have a Godward heart? You want to marry somebody who has a Godward heart? I want to just, Lois and I are, are like so different about everything. It just seems like we're different about almost everything. And um, 
And so that was, you know, it was hard for us. And maybe you had the same experience. And it's still tough and sometimes for Lois especially. But we discovered something real early. We discovered that there was just this one thing that we had such agreement, such tenacity and agreement about. We wanted to live for God and we wanted our kids to know God. We, Christ was our life. This we knew. Everything else might be up in the air. You know, but Christ is our life. And that will anchor your... You know, but what if, what if you're attracted to someone because of this or that or the other little ephemeral, empty, light thing, but the root of their heart isn't in Christ, then you're not going to have any compatibility. Does the person have a Godward heart? I, I'm walking with Lois in the fall of a year. It's October of 1978. And she was so beautiful. And I was so interested in getting her closer and closer to me. And she was doing that thing where, you know, she's doing that thing really well about, you're going to have to pursue me. She did it a little too well, I think. But so we're walking around campus one night. I'll never forget, we're just walking. It's a beautiful October night. Sun's going down. We're up on the north end of campus. We're walking. And I dropped this little gem into the conversation. Have you ever considered being a pastor's wife? It wasn't in a proposal. We had just a few weeks in, you know. And she, of course, naturally, having some self-respect, said, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. You know, because I'm like here in college, but starting to be a pastor. So I'm like, hmm, what am I going to do? We walk on in silence for a minute, and my heart is so disappointed. And then she very, very quietly said, but when I was a girl, I used to lay in bed at night, and I used to listen to Lester Roloff preach on the radio about having a ministry, a home for girls to help girls that were in trouble. And I often thought it would be neat to do that. I go, close enough. That's, that's, that's good. That's <laughs> right there. What was she saying to me? She was telling me, that before she knew me, and nobody else in the family was getting up and going to Sunday school, that Lois was getting up and going to Sunday school. She was telling me that at nighttime, when she could have been listening to anything on the radio, that she laid in her bed at night and listened to an old Tennessee windsucker preacher, and that she loved the Lord enough that she had a Godwardness in her heart. You want to marry someone who has a Godward heart, and it will be so good for you to do that. And, you, and so then, that's the, the sixth one. Is there evidence of spiritual graces? Here's another one. Do they have social skills and emotional maturity? Brotherly kindness. Are they mannerly? How they treat their father and mother? How they treat their brothers and sisters? It's just, that stuff wears well in life. Number eight, are they selfless and kind? The next thing is love. You see that? All right. I want to keep moving on this. This is the way to escape the corruption that's in the world through lust, the Bible says. But there you have a list of eight things. Now, here's the, here's the big question. Anybody can put a list together. My roommate, Paul David Heiser at Moody Bible Institute, I came bust in the room one night. He's kneeling there praying. And I'm just kind of horsing around with him. I go, what are you praying about? And he's got a list. He's literally got a list, <laughs> got a list on his bed. You can see it printed out like this. And he goes, I have this list of the qualities I'm looking for in a woman. And I pray about them every night. How many of you think he got what he prayed for? He got exactly what he prayed for. Because that guy went over there and he got, let me tell you something I know. God in his heaven is looking all around the earth to find young men that are kneeling by their bed like that. Asking him for things that are good. And, and little girls that wonder, could there ever be a moment for me when a man who really loves God will also love me. And will ask for me. And will notice me and will care about me. And I will tell you, there is a God in heaven. And he listens for the prayers of girls like that. He delights to answer them. I'm here to tell you that he 
will and he can. And he's done it over and over again. He's that good. But where are the young women who will go home and get on their knees and pray? Where are the young men who will lay hold of God and they will say to God, God, if I have to be single the rest of my life, that's fine. But I would never think of marrying someone who isn't also in love with you. This is what we need so desperately in our time. People who say, I will follow God. I will love God. Now, how do you get somebody like that? Here's, that's the big question. How do you get somebody like that? Well, here's the simple answer. Like attracts like. So if you want somebody who is a genuinely converted person, you have to be genuinely converted. If you want somebody who has godly character, well, why would you attract somebody with godly character if you don't have godly character? They have enough godly character not to be attracted to you. See what I'm saying? If you want somebody who knows their Bible, then you know your Bible. If you want somebody who has control of their appetites or they've developed vocational skills or had evidence of spiritual graces in life, then you have to be that kind of person. There, if that person is not going to be attracted to another person who isn't like that, But God is going to see to it that if you have these characters, qualities, and these virtues, that another person... Some of you say, wait a minute, it wasn't that way with me. I was just running away from God, and they were running away from God. God put us together. That's because God is so very good. I was on a house on a call one night to some new people in another city in another time, a long ago and far away from here. And I, I'm in their living room. I go, say, tell me how you guys met. They're like devout, devout Christian people. I'm like, how did you meet? They go, uh, you know, it's one of those. I'm like, now I really wanted to know. They're like, we met in a bar. And they know, you know, that's not how that's supposed to work, right? It's not a good idea, right? We met in a bar. I go, oh, oh it's before you knew the Lord. They go, yeah, no. Man. I'm like, I don't even want to know the rest of this story. He says, no, I was not walking with the Lord. She wasn't walking with the Lord. When we started to talk in that bar, we both realized we're believers who did not belong there at all. Now, you can tell me a story like that, and I say, that's just because God is so good. But they were stupid, Right? So you might be sitting here today going, that ain't what happened with me. I'm like, I know what you mean. That's how good God is. But you want to be gambling with your life on that. So what you want to do is you want to say, instead of just like, like feverishly hunting for somebody to date that's female and cute and charming or, or handsome or moneyed or whatever the girls look for, I don't know. Instead of doing that, listen to what I'm going to tell you right now. Just concentrate on pursuing God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Concentrate on serving God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and grow. It's not where you are. It's the direction that you're going. So when you're going in that direction toward God, what's going to happen is God then will make you attractive to another person who's going in that direction. You've heard it said like this. Take off running as hard as you can after God. Run as fast and as hard as you can after God. And then while you're doing that, look around and see if there's anybody that's keeping pace with you. And that would be the person that you should be with, right? You've heard that before. That's good advice. And that's what I'm saying. Quickly now, three things. I've told this to literally thousands of young people. I'm going to share it with you real quickly. Three things that are, are critical. I've always called this the road map to romance. Three things that the Bible teaches. Number one, concentrate on ministry and your relationship with the Lord, not on just going and finding somebody. But right in your youth, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and before you're really even old enough to marry, 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35 says that single people should devote themselves to the Lord and to ministry. And so I said it like this. Go through the list and pursue these things yourself. Like attracts like. Concentrate on fellowship of the Lord. Concentrate on worship of the Lord. Concentrate on serving the Lord without distraction. April, a year ago, 7th, Holly says to me, Dad, did you know that Luke Long has a brother? And I'm like, is he handsome like Luke? She says, he's really handsome. I said, is he godly like Luke? She says, it looks that way. He's a missionary. He's been a missionary in Tanzania. And I've been reading his blog for a few years. I'm like, let me see a picture. I'm like, well, he's a good looking guy. I say to Holly, friend him on Facebook. She says, are you kidding? I don't friend people. I said, Holly, you're not getting any younger. You might want to friend the guy. She says, I don't do that. And so I leave for church. And I said, on the way out the door, I'm going, Time to drop your hanky. That's a good guy right there. Drop your hanky, you know? And I leave for church. I preach my heart out here. I, I, I ask Holly, you know, hey, did you? And she goes, I didn't friend him, but I sent him a, a, a note and said, if you want to friend me, you can. He writes back, why would I friend you? She said, because you have faith, character, virtue, self-control, Right? When he told me later on, when he got that, he said, I felt like I went a million dollars that day. He was handsome to her, but it wouldn't have mattered if he was only handsome because her heart knew she needed a fellow with, you know this, right? With, with, that was a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and, and yesterday, you know, my heart was so happy to give her away to a guy who's taken her to Oregon. And Lois and I were talking, driving over the park to take pictures. We were both just saying, how could you not be happy? How could you not be happy? I just long so much for every mom and dad in this church and every kid to have that experience, to be able to say for your mom and dad to go, I'm so happy, go. Why? That's how you do it right there. You spend your youth, and we have youth workers here in our church that are very serious about this. They're planning stuff this summer that's so exciting. I told Hope, I'm going on it this summer. <laughs> I haven't told the youth leaders I'm, on, I'm, I'm in, but I'm going myself. They got conference, I'm going to it with them. Because I'm so, the, the youth people in our church are so serious about leading our young people, if you jumped in and just said, I'm going to seat God here. And I imagine, can you imagine if God would raise the temperature of our youth group and our church altogether, that there'd be a sense of revival in our church. And the young people here, people would just come looking like, these kids are crazy about serving God. They love God. They want to follow God. And our young adult ministry now, it's starting to flourish now in a second week. Just concentrate on that. The Bible says a soldier on active duty must not be entangled in civilian affairs. He must be wholly at the disposal of his commanding officer. I taught this at camp many years ago. There was a girl there, listen, a pretty dark-eyed girl, real intense girl named Laura Miller. She listened to me. There's a little girl, it was a junior high thing. And this little girl, I noticed her. She just listened and took notes. And, and, and then she came up to me afterwards. She said, you said to go to your dad and say, dad, work with me. And I want to date anybody you don't approve of. They got to talk to you first, you know. That's a great idea right there. So she said, I'm going to do that. Pray for me. She did. Didn't hear from her for a long time. Until a number of years later, here's this young woman walks up to me. And poised, sharp girl. And, and she says, I want, you to, I want to show you my Bible. And so she shows me her Bible. And she goes, look at here. And she opens up the front. And there were the notes from the camp when I spoke. She said, this is what I did. She went off to Cedarville University. She graduated. She married a godly guy. She's living for the Lord. Lois is taking pictures on the other side of the state. Not too, a couple summers ago, ran into her. 
I can tell you that story over and over again. Jenny Thompson was a girl in our church, just a precious Christian girl, really wanting to seek the Lord. And we, Lois and I, we used to look at Jenny and go, who's going to marry Jenny Thompson? We don't know a guy decent enough to marry Jenny Thompson. She's such a sweet Christian girl. Remember that? And then all of a sudden, here, this big, broad-shouldered, handsome, dark. Remember that? John comes in and we're like, there he is. Where did he come from? The answer is, God sent him. So you don't want to marry somebody God didn't send over and over again. Can I just, and I'll quit this whole personal stuff here, but I'm not apologizing right now. I'm telling you my heart. Over and over again, I would tell Holly, and she would be so tempted to other things. Give God the pen, and he will write a love story like you can't believe. There was a silver car came into the parking lot this morning. It wasn't the Ford Focus. It was my son-in-law, Dale. And I thought about that. Here he comes early because he wants to serve the Lord. And who would have thought, Dale, that those years ago when I was sitting in a parking lot praying, looking at that same window going, God, if this church is going to be good for me and good for the people, I want to go there. I had no idea that my little girls would marry neighbors who were raised in this church to love God. I love you. I'm so glad, God. That's what I long for for every single one of you too. That's what I long for for every single young woman, every single young man. What a powerful church. When young people say, I will serve God if I serve him alone. I will live for God. I'm not going to put, I'm not going to let profanity come out of my mouth. I'm not going to let immorality come into my life. I'm not going to let drunkenness take over my life. Those are the silly little stupid foolish things that hell-bound sinners are excited about. I will follow God. I will love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when I sin, I will repent. And I could go on, you know. But I'll just stop here and just say this one final thing. You might think, I, I don't know, Pastor, that sounds really idealistic, but it's not my life. And I have, I've goofed, I've made mistakes, I've failed. What, what should I do? I mean, what should I do? Years ago, I was speaking at a, a camp. The first night that I was there to speak... The director of the camp said, I would like the counselors to introduce themselves. And all the counselors stood up and they began to introduce themselves. One of those counselors looked a lot like, I remember, my wife many years ago. Long, dark hair, dark eyes, beautiful girl. Stood up and she said, my name is Elizabeth Winsler. And uh, she's from Eaton Rapids. And I, I noticed her and I thought, that's interesting. She's about the age of my son. My son wasn't around, so I just watched her. her she was pretty. But I evaluated her faith and virtue and character and emotional maturity. And I asked questions around about her behind her back of the, count, of the camp director. And what about that girl? And, they, you know, she... Here's what they said, though. Elizabeth, and I have every... I have permission, not only do I have permission to tell the story. She's gone with me many times to speak to young ladies. And she's told the story herself. Elizabeth said that when she was just a young girl, she made some very serious mistakes. And felt like... Well, the chances of her having a a husband that loves the Lord aren't very good because of the mistakes that she's made. And she was up at Camp Barakel, and Tom Harmon was speaking at a father-daughter retreat. And Tom had his daughter there, and they were talking about how they worked together, you know, to evaluate the faith and virtue and character of guys that would come into their lives. And she just felt awful. She felt sick that night because she had made these mistakes. And so that night, her dad, Bruce, who was here yesterday, walked her to her dorm, her cabin. And on the way from the chapel to the cabin, she looked over her dad and she says, I feel so sad tonight. I've made so many mistakes. I don't know what to do. And her dad had a moment of brilliance. And he said to her, why don't we start over again tonight? She said, do you think we could? 
He said, yes, sweetie, we can start over. You're young. Well, then she decided what she'd do. She'd serve the Lord. She came to camp, and it wasn't too long until God gifted that girl to our family. She is the most wonderful daughter-in-law and mother of our grandchildren because she, that night on that path, before she knew anything about our son, said to the God who's up in heaven, would you let me start over? Can I plead with you? I love you, and I long for each one of you to enjoy the, the, what it's like to follow the Lord. Can I ask every single one of you right now to say, God, right now I'm starting over. I'm going to seek you with all of my heart. I'm going to pray for the young people in our church that they will marry in the faith, stay under their parents' direction, be morally pure, seek God. We need a remnant of godly young people. Oh, we really are undone. When you look at the evening news and when you see the corruption in our world and you think, what should I do? It's not something overseas. That stuff is out of our control for the most part. It's right there around your table. Get your daughter. Take her out to breakfast. Listen to her and love her. Lead her in the ways of God. Ask her to enter into an agreement with you about this. Let's raise up sons and daughters who know God, who love God. If you're a young person who's here, can I please ask you, would you join us in this? Let's stand together. Please stand with me. We're just going to pray and close. And just going to pray and close. But I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And and I'm first going to say something quickly. Those of you who are yet still single... I wonder if you'd be willing to say to God, sometimes it's helpful to make a commitment to the Lord, and you'd be able to say to the Lord, you know, I am going to commit to evaluating the faith and virtue and emotional maturity of people that I'm considering. Young people, would you think about that? Would you go away to a quiet place sometime this week and tell God that? And listen to me, please listen. Young ladies, guys, here's my best fatherly, pastoral advice to you. Go to your mom and dad or to your mom or your dad or whoever it is that's in your life that God clearly put in your life to help you and say to them, I don't want to do this alone. I want you to help me. I promise I'll stay under your authority. I'll do what you ask me to do. If you don't approve of a person, I will not see that person. If you don't approve of a person, Jesse told me, I love Holly. I'm so powerfully attracted to her, but if I didn't have your blessing, I would not marry her. Can I say to you guys, please, you guys say that to mom and dad and, and, and tell the youth workers that you, that, and together as a church, God will raise the temperature of our church. And, and uh, older people that are, are, are married already, could I ask you that you would pray and give counsel to our young people on the same uh, on the same. Uh, wavelength, and they'll be blessed. I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you today for this beautiful uh, Lord's Day. We're grateful to be here, grateful to be able to uh, get truths and riches from your word that apply directly and practically to our lives. And I pray, Lord, today that the young women in our church and the young men in our church and many others that we would influence would see and find the ways of God and enjoy them in a way like they couldn't imagine because they trusted you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll see you.